1: Revived Thoughts is a production of Revive Studios.
2: This is Troy and Joel, and you are listening to Revive Thoughts.
3: Whoever diligently reads this word and presses it upon his heart will find that his strong desire for transitory things will diminish, as a greater desire for the heavenly things that God has promised grows within him.
4: Every episode, we bring you a different voice from history and a sermon that they delivered. Today's sermon comes to us from the mid 1500s. It was preached by Thomas. We're gonna go with Cranmer. Cran Cranmar.
2: We Cranmer. saw like we looked it up on YouTube in a British. We guy looked it was up. Like, we Cranmar. So it might be interchanged between Cranmar and Cranmer. And just to save us all the trouble, what, we'll just call him Thomas. <laughs> Thomas, yeah. Keep it keep it easy. We're on a first name basis. <laughs> Joel, this is a very unique situ- sermon situation for us. It's kinda of fun. Uh this sermon was sent into us by a listener. They edited it themselves. They already spoke it. Usually I'm sending people scripts and telling them, Hey, like, thanks for volunteering. Here's some sermons. You know, what do you think? etc cetera, et cetera. This person did it all and they did it all for us and they were sent it to us. We're like, Hey, do you take submissions? And I was like, Well, let's see and there it was. Everything was good to go. So, that's never really happened before in the history of this show. So, it was so kind of nice of them to help us out with that. We hope you enjoy listening to this one. Uh, We do want to remind you, we've gotten new listeners coming in all the time. This sermon is 500 years old. The person who preached it was born in the year 1489. Uh, Christopher Columbus had not yet discovered America. So, they are from a slightly different time. If there's parts of it that sound a little weird or sound a little off, just keep in mind, that's what it is. I always encourage people to focus on how much we have in common with our faithful brothers and sisters from 500 years ago and not to focus too much on things that might be slightly different from back then. But it's really incredible. And what I think is really interesting is this sermon came uh, from Thomas Cranmer's... Ah, uh, I said anyway, Book of homilies, which was meant to be shared with others and Yet, here this sermon was sent to us and was freely shared with us. So, look at that, it's like his legacy is still continuing all these many years later. Where people are sharing the sermons for us,
4: yeah. And just, just from the start, and Thomas Cranmer lived a very full life. So, we're not it's really hard to cover such a big life in you know this 15 minute introduction sequence here, but we're gonna hit on some good highlights here. The, the thing that is important to remember is that he's born in 1489 in england right so this is this is pre-reformation luther nailed his 95 theses uh, in 1517 so for almost 30 years thomas's life uh, was before the act that would that would spark this this great reformation sliding off that We do know that uh, he went to a Jesuit college for a few years after his father died. And it seemed to be primarily a a way to uh, become financially stable. And we see this occasionally, right? Priests back in the day, they were, it was like a a business. It was like an occupation, a viable thing to do that paid well, right? So people that, uh, you know, didn't really have necessarily any genuine faith would pursue life in the priesthood uh, just because it, the church would pay you pretty well and you can make a decent living off of it. And so he went to this uh, this college and joined a, a fellowship there. But in 1510, after a couple of years, he he lost his job and his ministry. And it was because he married a local tavern keeper's daughter. And this kind of makes sense, right? He only entered ministry to, to make money after his father's death. And now he meets this nice girl. He falls in love And he has to give up his academics and uh, ministry for the girl, right? But sadly, and this is, you know, a a tragic uh, building block on who Thomas was, but his his wife dies just a year later during childbirth and he loses his wife and the child in the process. Uh, And after some time, he goes back to the ministry and and rejoins uh, the
2: fellowship. Now, it's easy to read over historical fi- fact like that and kind of move on. Um, it's not really what he's remembered for, after all. But remember, he's a real person. How much did that shake him up? How much did that change the way he viewed the world? How much would that change you and the way you view your world if that happened to you, right? If you lost your you know, new spouse and child, what would that do to you? Whereas before he was in ministry because it was a job, now that he's seen and experienced death and death of people he loved, you know, he gave up his ministry and job for this girl. How much does that change the way you think about life? Uh, He worked for a while. He's preaching kind of in that position, teaching preaching kind of for a while. Um, He did lose it at one point because he wasn't ordained, but he got it back. It was kind of just back and forth for a while. But eventually, a plague kind of comes into Cambridge. Um, Back in medieval times, that would happen. Plagues would come, and people would usually run away from the city. And so he does. He went went into nearby Essex. And while he was there, he caught the attention of King Henry VIII. Now, if you know much about this time period of the Reformation, you know that this King of England is extremely important to uh, the Church of England forming. And Thomas here will play a role in all that, actually very important role in all of that. The King of England famously wanted to leave his wife and marry someone else, but the Catholic Church was pretty much against that, right? So he sent Thomas to discuss kind of with Rome, find out if things were possible, and Thomas was happy to help. He, he would do anything. He was, oh, this sounds great. Let's do it. Um, one idea they kind of came up with was what if instead of going to the Roman officials to find out what they think, because they know they're going to get a, no, you can't divorce your wife, Uh, What if they went to all the universities and went and got the academic opinions of people? And so Thomas goes into Europe. um, He ends up running into Zwingli. He ends up running to all these other important reformers. And, you know, while he's rubbing shoulders talking to them, he's also learning their ideas about the Reformation. He's seeing what they're doing, and he's starting to get new opinions. I imagine this is when the idea of, hey, what if England broke from the Catholic Church? What if we join the reformers instead of sticking with them? Probably begins to enter his mind. He starts to think about these ideas. And I'm sure it became even more important to him because in the same time, while he's in Germany meeting all these Lutherans and figuring out what they're up to, he also fell in love again and married again.
4: Yeah, so you can, you can kind of see the pieces there. He's, he's being exposed to these thoughts from uh, these, these great reformers that are, that are beginning to make splashes uh, in the, the culture there. But it's it's not quite fully realized with him at this moment, right? This marriage that he has now, he keeps secret. And soon afterward, through political intrigue, uh, he is made the archbishop. And he declares the old marriage uh, of Henry VIII void and allows Henry to marry this this other woman that he wanted to. And this led to a lot of problems, a lot of issues, things including making Mary of Tudor, the Bloody Queen Mary, no longer the rightful heir to the throne, and that would come back to haunt him. Cranmer stayed by the king's side as his church councilman to the end. He helped shape the newly forming Church of England and doctrine and practices from what he had learned in Europe. So those things that he's he's seeing, they're influencing his ministry there now back in England. Cranmer did a lot of what he did because he believed on what was called the royal absolutism. He believed that the monarch was God's authority and so that they could do no wrong. So, and you may disagree with this, But Kramer certainly stuck with this this mentality, this notion. He wrote several books and treatises to help with the theology of, of the new church, even if King Henry VIII was not doing this all for the right reasons, Kramer was breaking away from the Catholic Church because of what he'd learned from intellectuals from the Reformers.
2: One of the books that he would write was the 39, was called the 39 Articles that was originally 42, but it would help lay out the Church of England's doctrine and what they believe. So, I mean, you can see how important that is. The Church of England, you know, is still with us today. Anglicans, right? They come from this part of the, you know, this. And these are the ideas that he's putting down, really helping kind of formulate the theology and stuff they're going to keep with them. That's going. what's going to both break them away from the Catholic Church, but also kind of separate them from the Lutherans and some of the other groups as well. He would also help write the Common Book of Prayer. This was a book that would be used in services. Uh, it, it's still used in services, I believe. And also the Book of homilies This is where we get the sermon we're going to be listening to. So now not every single sermon in the Book of homilies is from uh, Thomas, but most of them from the first book are, and that's where this one comes from. And this was to help preach. who were not trained in theology to have some kind of sound sermons in their back pocket that they could use and maybe from this learn how to be better at preaching. So at least from at least they had somewhere to get some good sound theological strong sermons. Uh, Now, not all of this is perfect. Reforming the church had natural pushback. I mean, the Catholic church was still in England. A lot of Catholics were still there and they didn't like all of this going on. And there was a whole rebellion against uh, Thomas when he put the prayer book out, where the Catholic Church loyalists just had a huge uprising. It's called the Book of Prayer Rebellion. You can go look it up. It's really strange and interesting. And it's not just about the Book of Prayer. Of course, you know, there's other things leading up to it, but that was kind of the final straw. 5,500 people would die in just that rebellion, where the, where these armies would come out, and we're not doing the Book of Prayer. You've gone too far. Um, it's incredible just, again, we talked about this a lot in our last Martin Luther episode where we talked about what would you do if some of your actions, if you knew 100,000 people died because of actions you took and that was with him in the Peasants' Revolt. Well, Thomas has a smaller, but I mean still similar version because he put out a book to help people and to help the Anglican Church with the Book of Prayer and all of that. 5,500 people died in a rebellion. It can be tied to that. How would that make you feel just thinking about things like that? And it also just shows what a very turbulent time, what a wild time Thomas was ministering in. where even something like a Book of Prayer to help the Church of England, all that stuff to help the people during their services led to this much grief and rebellion it just shows that these were wild times where a book publishing could cause something like that
4: this whole era all right we are the the Reformation era going through the 1500s it's a fascinating time because there's just so many things changing and there's so many ways of thinking that are changing and adapting and evolving it can be easy for us to look back and, and judge people based on the theology that we have nowadays, but people were, were figuring it out and a, as they went along, and it was it was a changing thing. And it's very interesting to see how people uh, changed throughout this era. And if people, you know, our listeners, I'm sure many of them are very familiar with uh, the politics during this era. Eventually, King Henry Eighth would die, and so did the next king, King Edward Sixth. Cranmer tried to get another woman, a uh, woman named Lady Jane Grey, to be the new king, but instead, Bloody Mary. Queen Mary from before came back uh, and took the throne. This was in 1553. And she was hardcore Catholic and uh, and very against uh, the Reformation that was happening. And when Cranmer was pushed uh, to, to give his stance on Catholicism, uh, he made a bold declaration against it, which got him put in jail in September of that year.
2: Now, he was in good company. He spent time with a former Revive Thoughts speakers, Hugh Latimer and John Bradford, whom John Bradford has an episode that my wife did, Elise, over on Martyrs of Missionaries. It's a really good one. I'm actually recommending that one over the Revive Thoughts one, so go check out the John Bradford on Martyrs Missionaries if you haven't listened to it. It's really good, and he would have been in the same tower with these guys. As far as we know, they were interacting and talking and spending time together, so at least you're in good company if you're going to be in jail, right? Now, things get a little bit confusing here. Uh, He makes a few recantations, or basically says, like, you know what, I give up some of my thoughts after he sees Latimer and another gentleman of the Reformation, Ridley, executed. uh, Yet, Queen Mary doesn't accept them. Now, the Catholic Church is supposed—if you recant, you're supposed to be kind of free to go. You you admitted you were wrong, you know, repentance, forgiveness for letting you go, but— they're not letting him go no matter how many times he recants. And Queen Mary just seems very determined to make an example of him, to kill him. You know, he's the guy who pretty much, you know, who, who Queen Mary, if you're not you know, aware, she is related by blood, right? She was supposed to be the daughter that would take over. And because of really Thomas, you lost out on the throne earlier. He almost put someone else in front of you you eventually get the throne. So if there's one person you're going to have some issues with for Queen Mary, Thomas makes sense. And also he's the guy who wrote the book of prayer. He's the guy who, uh, you know, who was basically putting together the church of England. So again, for two big reasons, he's one of, you you can understand why she would want to get him and not take recants or anything like that at all. Um, so they were minimal. Most of them weren't really big recantations, they were kind of small ones, but he did give one where he was like, I reject everything Zwingli and Luther teaches, I reject Reformed teaching. So that part's kind of sad. We don't like to see uh, people who are standing firm in the faith giving us, giving ground, right? Uh, however, before he was executed, he was allowed to give kind of a recantation speech, you know, kind of give another speech. He he submitted it for approval beforehand. He read it just as it is. It was a long speech talking about how you need to obey the king, obey the queen, listen to the teachings, you know, trust the church kind of thing. Everything, you know, looked like just another one of his recants, except this time he was publicly speaking. And then, out of nowhere, he just veers at the end of it into a different place. And he goes, yeah, uh, no. Uh, so I renounce all my recantations. I was wrong. In fact, I feel bad doing it. So I would like my right hand to be the first part that goes into the fire so it can burn away that evil deed I did by recanting. I stand by everything I wrote before. I stand by what we're doing with the Reformation. I stand by the things I said. Um, then he said the Pope is the Antichrist. He said he's done with the Catholic Church. And, you know, I'm done with all of this, basically. Well, there went that chant of him not getting burned at the stake. So they immediately, they really pulled him off the pulpit while he's still like shouting all these things and take him over to the spot where Latimer had been burned six months before. They tie him to the post And, you know, true to his word, he stuck his hand into the fire, his right hand into the hottest part of the flame as fast as he could to stick with what he said. And while they're burning him, so it says, so this is what was recorded. His last words were, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then looking up, he says, I see the heavens opening up and I see Jesus at the right hand of God. And then he died which I imagine if I was in the audience, that would have been chilling to know that you know someone I burned said almost the, you know, the exact same words that Stephen the martyr said in Acts. That would really make me question which side I was on. Um, but yeah, that's, that was how he died. Quite a way to go.
4: Kramer, he, he wasn't a perfect man, but he wanted to see the church grow closer to God. And he knew that the scriptures... Once in Latin and inaccessible to almost everyone, we're part of the path to learning more about God. This sermon encourages the reading of scriptures for all who want to grow closer to God.
3: For a Christian, there is nothing more necessary or profitable than knowing Holy Scripture, for it contains within it God's true Word, presenting both God's glory and our duty. And there is no truth nor teaching necessary for our justification and eternal salvation except that which can be drawn from that deep fountain and well of truth. Therefore, if you desire to enter the right path to God, you must apply your mind to know Holy Scripture. Without it, you can neither sufficiently know God or His will, nor your calling and duty. As water refreshes the thirsty and food nourishes the famished, the reading, hearing, meditating, and studying of Holy Scripture satisfies those that desire to know God or themselves. Those that are drowning in temporal lusts cannot stomach God's Word because they neither savor God nor live a godly life. Just like a person, after becoming sick, finds all food distasteful, those whose minds are sick with sin and love of the world find even the sweet word of God to be bitter to their taste. So don't listen to the corrupt judgment of those that are enslaved to their passions and don't care about anyone except their own carcass. But reverently hear and read Holy Scripture, which is the food of the soul. Don't run to the stinking puddles of human traditions devised by someone's imagination. Instead, diligently search for the well of life in the books of the Old and New Testament. There you will find your justification and salvation. For Holy Scripture tells us everything that we ought to do, avoid doing, believe, love, And expect to receive from God's hand. Within the books of Holy Scripture we discover the Father, from whom, the Son, by whom, and the Holy Spirit, in whom, all things exist and are sustained. We learn that these three divine persons are one God and one being. We also learn to know ourselves, and how despicable and in need of mercy we are. And we learn to know God how good he is in himself, and how he makes us and all of his creature and creation share in his goodness. We are instructed how to know God's will and desire for us. As the great scholar and preacher John Chrysostom said, whatever is required for the salvation of man is fully contained in the scripture of God. He that is ignorant may there learn and have knowledge. He that is hard-hearted and an obstinate sinner shall there find eternal torments prepared by God's justice to make him afraid and soften his heart. He that is oppressed with misery in this world shall there find relief in the promises of eternal life to his great consolation and comfort. He that is wounded by the devil unto death shall find there medicine whereby he may be restored again unto health. If it shall require to teach any truth, or reprove false doctrine, to rebuke any vice, to commend any virtue, to give good counsel, to comfort, or to exhort, or to do any other thing requisite for our salvation, all those things, says Chrysostom, we may learn in abundance from Scripture. There is, says Fulgentius, abundantly enough both for those grown to eat and children to nurse. There is whatever is proper for all ages and for all types and sorts of people. Therefore, the books of Holy Scripture should often fill our hands, our eyes, our ears, our mouths, and most of all, our hearts. For the Scripture of God is the heavenly food for our souls. Hearing and keeping it makes us blessed and sanctifies us and makes us holy. It turns our souls to God. It is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. It is a sure and steadfast anchor of our soul. It gives wisdom and knowledge and understanding. It comforts, makes glad, and cleanses our consciences. It is a more valuable treasure than any gold and abundance of costly stones. It is sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. It is called the best part that Mary chose, For it contains eternal comfort. The words of Scripture are are called words of eternal life. For they are the way that God brings life into the world. God has promised that they have the power to transform your life, turning you toward Himself through the working of the Holy Spirit. And when God's words are received into your heart, they always do God's heavenly and spiritual work within. They are living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Christ calls the person who constructs their life on the solid foundation of God's word a wise builder. By God's word we will be judged, for Christ says that the word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. Christ promises that God loves and has favor on those that keep his words, and that the triune God will dwell within him. Whoever diligently reads this word and presses it upon his heart will find that his strong desire for transitory things will diminish, as a greater desire for the heavenly things that God has promised grows within him. There is nothing in this world that strengthens faith and trust in God preserve spiritual freedom and inner purity of heart, and also outward godly living and behavior, like continually reading and meditating on God's Word. By continually reading and diligently studying the Holy Scriptures, all these things become so deeply stamped and engraved upon the heart that they almost become second nature. The effect and strength of God's Word both illuminates the ignorant and sheds more light on those that faithfully and diligently read it. It comforts their hearts and encourages them to do what God has commanded. It teaches patience in adversity and humility in prosperity. It shows the honor due to God and the mercy and love due to our neighbor. It gives good counsel when we find ourselves in uncertain circumstances. It instructs us to look to Him for aid and help in all dangers because God is the only giver of victory in all battles and temptations from both our physical and spiritual enemies. But you do not receive the full benefit by only reading or saying the words. Rather, immersing yourself in Scripture leads to the most Holy Spirit-inspired transformation of heart and life. You will become less and less proud, less angry, less greedy, and less desirous of empty worldly pleasures. You will also learn to daily forsake your old sin-addicted life and increase in more and more virtue. In a nutshell, there is nothing that will keep your mind more focused on what is godly and drive away ungodliness than the continual reading or hearing of God's word when it is joined with the desire to know and follow God's will. For without a clear aim, pure intent, and good mind, nothing is truly good in God's sight. And conversely, nothing obscures the beauty of Christ and the glory of God, nor causes more blindness and all kinds of selfishness than ignorance of God's word. If we profess Christ, why aren't we ashamed of our ignorance of his teaching? wouldn't a professing Ph.D. in mathematics be ashamed if he were found out to be ignorant of algebra? And wouldn't it be incredibly shameful to be called a philosopher without having read the books of philosophy? Or to be called a lawyer or an astronomer or a physician if you were ignorant in the books of law, astronomy, and medicine? How can anyone say that they profess Christ and his practices if they do not apply themselves to read and hear and therefore know the books about Christ and his teaching. Although other realms of knowledge are important, yet the study of God surpasses all other studies. If we love to read and hear human thoughts and discoveries more than his precious gospel, what excuse will we have at the last day when we stand before Christ? What will you say when it is revealed you found no time for what was most important, but rather spent your free time on other lesser pursuits. Therefore, we who profess God and believe and trust in Him must apply ourselves with the time we have to diligently hear and read His Word. But many who don't have any desire for God's Word often make two excuses for their behavior. Some excuse themselves from reading Scripture by saying that their ignorance will inevitably lead them to interpret it incorrectly. Others think that the Scripture is so difficult to understand that it can only be studied by scholars and theologians. To answer the first excuse, ignorance of God's Word is actually the cause of all error, as Christ Himself affirmed to the Sadducees, saying, You are wrong because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. How can you reject error if you are ignorant of truth? And how can you inform yourself if you won't read or hear the word of God, which will give you knowledge? The person that now is most knowledgeable started as ignorant, but he didn't avoid reading because he didn't want to remain ignorant and by his ignorance remain in error. If you are afraid to learn the truth of God, which is of the utmost importance to you, because you think you are going to fall into error, you may as well just lay in bed all day to keep yourself from falling into a swamp, nor eat any food so you don't get sick from overeating, nor plant a garden, nor work in your job, nor use your goods, because you are afraid your plants will die, your work will be ineffective, and your goods destroyed. If that's your logic, it would be best for you to lie around and do nothing and never move yourself to do anything beneficial just in case something might happen to you that's bad. But if you are afraid that you may fall into error by reading Holy Scripture, let me show you how to read it without that danger. Read it humbly with a meek and lowly heart with your intention to glorify God and not yourself with the knowledge that you obtain. Always read it while continually praying to God, that He direct your reading of Scripture to a beneficial effect. And don't pretend to know more about Scripture than you actually do. For as Augustine says, The knowledge of Holy Scripture is a great, large, and high palace, but the door is very low, so that the high and arrogant man cannot run in, but he must stoop low and humble himself in order to enter into it. Presumption and arrogance is the mother of all error, but humility doesn't need to fear error, for humility only searches to know the truth. It will search and bring together information from various places, and where it cannot figure out the meaning, it will pray. It will ask others with more knowledge, and it will not presumptuously and hastily claim to know anything that it really doesn't. Therefore, the person who is humble can boldly search for truth in Scripture without any danger of error. And if he is ignorant, it is even more important that he read and search Holy Scripture to raise him up out of ignorance. A person can learn through hearing only, but will advance much more with both hearing and reading. Now, concerning the difficulty of understanding Scripture... The person who is so weak that he can't stomach rich foods can still drink warm, nutritious milk and wait to eat the rest until he becomes stronger and more knowledgeable. For God receives both the educated and uneducated and does not reject anyone who comes to him, but treats everyone with equity. Scripture is full of valleys and flat pathways that are easy for anyone to walk upon, as well as high hills and mountains which only the very few can climb. And whosoever gives his mind to Holy Scripture with diligent study and burning desire, says John Chrysostom, it cannot be that he should be left without help. For God Almighty will send him some godly professor to teach him, as he did to instruct the Ethiopian eunuch, the treasurer of the queen, who had a great desire to read the Scripture, even though he didn't understand it. Yet because of his desire for God's word, God sent his apostle Philip to declare to him the true meaning of the scripture that he was reading. Or if we lack someone knowledgeable in scripture to instruct and teach us, God himself from above will enlighten our minds and teach us those things which are necessary for us and in which we are ignorant. And in another place, Chrysostom says that, Man's human and worldly wisdom where study is not needed to understand Scripture, but the revelation of the Holy Spirit, who inspires the true meaning to those that search for it with humility and diligence. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Even if we read the same passage once, twice, or three times, let us not cease to continue reading praying, and asking for teaching from others. By this continual knocking, eventually the door will be opened to you, as Augustine says. Although many things in the Scripture are spoken in obscure mysteries, yet there is nothing spoken under dark mysteries in one place without also being in other places spoken in more plain and familiar terms for both the educated and the uneducated. And it is the duty of everyone to learn those things in the Scripture that are plain to understand and necessary for salvation, and to also commit them to memory and powerfully make use of them. And also he should be content to be ignorant of the mysteries of Scripture until God decides to open them up to him. If anyone lacks either the ability or opportunity to read, God will not judge him, Yet this should not be an excuse for those who are able and do have the opportunity to read the scripture. Nevertheless, the difficulty of some places in scripture should not cause us to neglect reading it altogether. Finally, St. Augustine says, By the scripture all are healed, the weak are strengthened, the strong are comforted. Because of this, no one is opposed to people reading scripture except he who is ignorant of how wonderful it is or is so spiritually sick that he hates even the medicine that brings the deepest healing, or is so ungodly that he wants people to continue in blindness and ignorance of God. We have briefly discussed some of the great advantages of God's Holy Word, which is one of God's chief and primary benefits given and declared to humankind here on earth. Let us thank God from our heart for this great and special gift, beneficial favor, And Fatherly provision. Let us be glad to fan into flame the gift from our Heavenly Father. Let us hear, read, and know these holy rules, commands, and statutes of our Christian religion, which we have made a profession to obey in our baptism. Let us fear and reverence treasure these necessary and fruitful lessons into the chest of our heart. Let us meditate day and night and contemplate them. Let us ruminate as if chewing the cud, that we may obtain their sweet juice, spiritual power, marrow, honey, kernel, taste, comfort, and consolation. Let us sustain, comfort, and inform our consciences with their most infallible certainty, truth, and perpetual assurance. Let us pray to God, the only author of these heavenly subjects, that we may speak, think, believe, live, and depart from this life in harmony with their wholesome teachings and truths. And through all this, we shall have in this world God's protection, his favor and grace, with unspeakable peace and a restful conscience. And after this difficult life, we will enjoy the endless bliss and glory of heaven, which the one who died for us all gave us all, That is Jesus Christ, to whom with the Father and the Holy Spirit be all honor and glory both now and forever. Amen.
4: Thank you for listening to today's episode of Revived Thoughts. Today's sermon was narrated by Gerald Hine at Grace Lutheran Church. Special thanks to him and his son for helping us with this sermon.
2: If you enjoyed this episode of Revived Thoughts and you want to keep up with us more, try to join us out there on social media. We're probably most active on Facebook and Twitter, although, and we'll see if I'm sticking to this, one of my New Year's resolution plans is to get better at Instagram, so you in the future who's listening to this will know if I've managed to succeed at that or not. Uh, but yeah, check out both us there. We put up memes, we have fun, we put out announcements, special things, things that don't always fit in the episodes can go out there. So if you're on social media and you like to be a part of things going on, find us there, especially on uh facebook is probably where most of our like best announcements and stuff go because twitter twitter's just too short it's too hard to do it but you follow us wherever you find us send us a message we love hearing from you wherever you are and share stuff with people you know so they can hear it too so yeah we would appreciate that this is troy and joel and you're listening to revive thoughts